you know, the story about like auditioning at Emerald with like no color guard experience. I just did whatever they told me to do all the time. That's what pageantry is, you know, go here, stand there, straighten your legs, stretch out in second, go take a dance class, stop wearing camouflage pants because I can't see the line behind your leg. Like, you know, you have those like, you have those silly things that happen along the way, but really you go, I just follow, you know? And then you, you become the best follower of, of the craft. You become the best learner of all of the things that it takes to do the thing that you need to do. And, you know, and that's huge versus arguing with yourself about it. Welcome back to So You Think You're Box 5, where we talk about all things marching arts from the bad bad to the good good. From the struggle bus to the perfect 20. Yo, happy finals week, Montana. Yeah, happy finals week. It sounds- Here we are. It's kind of weird. I, I'm always home at this point in the season. Like every year I teach, I always go home at least for, I mean, it would have been a couple days ago. I usually go home right before Allentown and just to get a quick little break and kind of drop off things before finals week really goes into full blast and then someone usually just drives me back to Allentown from Long Island. It's just weird being being home right now. I don't I don't know and thinking and putting myself in the the mindset that it's finals week. I haven't been to like actual finals since my age out year. Really? Um, and I had planned to go in 17 but I got a job opportunity, which was so whack. Like that, that'll be another story for another day, but it was so whack. And I remember like tuning in like as much as I could um, to see to see the results and just to see the Blue Devils do their thing. Um, Ooh, I remember texting as many people as I could. Like, Ooh, yeah, I wish I, I did see it live once early season, but still like. Yeah, that, that show definitely does something for me that not a lot of drum course shows do for me. I don't. I think we've spoken about this before, like how when you're marching and not at the Blue Devils, you don't understand it. And then when you age out and you start to, I guess, just open your eyes to the art. Yeah, exactly. The art that it actually is. And you're like, wow, I wish I really, I wish I appreciated it when I was able to see it live. Because watching back videos will never give drum corps any sort of justice ever. So that's why this virtual thing, probably for everybody, is driving people insane. Because it doesn't give you the same feel as like being in the room with like a horn line or being in a room with a color guard that is phenomenal, you know? It's sad that finals week isn't a thing. And finals week is always a really nice reunion time for everybody where we're all in the same space for days you know everyone's going to be in indiana being able to spend time with each other i haven't gone to a finals week since age out i see drum corps when it passes through and then in 19 i did see a lot of drum corps like right away in the beginning but yeah like actually being there and having that whole like reunion thing happen like the whatever season that we're able to do next like is just going to be a huge celebration at least from my end as a fan you know yeah I wonder when this passes, people are just going to go back into their old ways. There's not going to be like an old way to go back to, you know, there's not like, well, drum corps is not just going to be able to pick up and go. WG, well, like, I know that, you know, but it's like, yeah. there's going to be this push to, to go back to what we had, quote unquote. But I wonder if there's going to be like, 
a divide of how we're going to move forward from this. It's just like when you get crabby old alumni that when they don't, they are stuck in 1972, you know, and they still think that's how drum corps should be. And there is a lot of people like that. There is a, cause I, I remember in 2015 when they allowed facial hair at the cadets and alumni. The alumni came by with razors. They were throwing, <laughs> yeah, throwing disposable razors at um, the members as they were walking in twos. And I mean, it's just like, like just like know, all like, other like you don't think. I, I think when when drum corps, it's not if it's when drum corps evolves, that there's still going to be people that are so attached to how it was or how it used to be or the way like going back to how we did it. You know that I wonder if there's going to be a divide of people. Of course, of course there is. But, but more like, than usual, though, because this is like, it's something that's pretty much been, yes, the, the caliber of drum corps changes, but the format has pretty much stayed consistent from when it started. For it to have a complete revamp, revamp, it's like erase it and start all over again, is going to be something really hard for people to actually grasp onto. I know for myself, like, I can I can take a portion of change, but for something that has been a like half of my life almost spent in this activity, and to think that everything that you ever known of what it was is going to be completely scrapped is something that can be I don't want to say traumatic because like I don't think it's a traumatic experience, but I think it's something that's like oh my god, you know. It's become learning to be a beginner again at something that you were literally a master at. I think it's fine. I think it's worth exploring. You you uh, like the change. You you live for the and change like, and the chaos. Okay, <laughs> like yeah, uh, and the vocal like and loud opinionated people like probably outside of like whatever they donate like have zero connections to like how things actually like need to run and get operated. People that are actually dealing with like putting this activity back together. So like. You know, I'm just more curious to see from people who matter <laughs> what their opinions are, you know, like not like just Rick. opinions, but operations. Yes, exactly. Speaking of people who matter or people who... Uh... Rick is going to make a big impact on how we move forward. And I just know it because that's who he is. I mean, he's just going to do his thing. He's going to do what, like, what, whatever he needs to do to like put something out there from his performance ensembles. I think that's really what's going to happen. Like people are just going to put stuff out there and it's not going to be like a, this is how we're going forward it's just like everything's just going to keep slowly yeah. adapting yeah like, people are going to be really open-minded to the fact that things are going to be different and it's the way it is now so it should be really interesting but anyway this episode with rick was just really great as he as he put it the old man wisdom he gives is box 10 rick has had an incredible career in this activity and continues to grow his love and knowledge of all aspects, color guard, marching arts. He's like a force to be reckoned with in this activity. And I think he's just such a, a wholesome, honest person that any anyone that's lucky, definitely lucky enough to be taught by him, work with him is, in my opinion, blessed. Like he is a really, really great person. Also, 
we didn't really like say hello. You know, there is no like formal introduction of Rick. We were just kind of like, yeah. You know. To give a disclaimer, he he had the Brady Bunch background when he came in on the call. We <laughs> that there was no hi hello. It was just a lot of laughs. And yeah, so we, we talked so much nonsense before we were like, we yeah, we giggled about that. Now. I didn't experience this, but Pedro and Rick, Rick being from like the country, Alabama, and he was saying that when he would be hurt or sick, like his his uh, family would just say like, oh, go in the back and rub some dirt on it. So that's kind of where the conversation begins about him <laughs> talking about how country is. But anyway... I'm just really excited to share this with you guys. Without further ado, Rick, Rick Subal. Like my family's so country. Like I grew up where it's just like rub some dirt on it. You know, it's like literally the literally. Like, <laughs> literally. There's a book. There's a bush in the back. Cut two leaves and let's boil it. And it's like that's not. A, that's a rose tree, mom. <laughs> Yo, my grandmother had a couple of jars of like, one was just like barks and the other one was like dirts and the other one was like flowers that she would use for like her medicine for us. And it was always so painful. <laughs> like it was like a tea would come to comfort you, but then the rest of the treatment was just pain, painful massages. I'm like, oh, this is getting all the, the bad stuff out. Well, who knows? Maybe there's a cure for COVID in the in the in the bark and dirt and rose that leaves. I'm the first one to start eating it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just I'm just hiding. I'm just hiding. In yeah. My home. I I relocated for time being to Florida, and so being able to like go outside and not see people and have all this like space and fresh air and just nice to not be cooped up in my new york house yeah and then i mean and there's you know i have so many people that i talk to that they're still traveling all the time and they're still doing stuff and i'm you know i don't know i'm equal parts i'm equal parts happy to be home you know but also i i just can't imagine I, i think my anxiety would be through the roof if i tried to go do stuff like it was normal you know i couldn't enjoy it if if i was there yeah i I feel like I've never been so anxious about something in my life. Like I'm petrified. Like there's a, I I teach a band in New Jersey and they are starting in-person rehearsals next week. And I said, no, thanks. I was like, I'm not risking like getting my family sick or myself sick for teaching kids how to march in time (laughs) and do drop spins. I'm lucky. I've been teaching a school virtually for a while now. So it's like, I've always just sent in like choreography and then gave them back feedback through video and like just check in with their caption heads and their lead text there through video so that really hasn't changed and they're in minnesota too and they've handled the virus thing overall a little better than or just consistently better than parts of the country so they're like meeting back up in person just like just let me know what like state guidelines come down and what has to change but as is like the checks are coming in so i'm happy (laughs) right fingers crossed on that are you in the midwest are you where are you no, I am in Oregon, um, in oh, cool. the Beaverton, which is like the biggest suburb outside of Portland. Been out here for five years now, but I'm from South Florida. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, a, been... that's a huge shift, I bet. <laughs> yeah, it's a totally different lifestyle and people and just... Are you like a super hipster? 
Uh, he totally is. He totally is. <laughs> Look like, at his shirt. Even... He's wearing an Earth Day shirt. Okay. I, uh, I, uh... I mean, I was already like a, He's already a tree hugger <laughs> since I was like three years old. So it just, it was a good fit. But you know, there is like that like East Coast bite that people have and like that, just that aggressiveness that I miss from out here. Cause it's very like soft and vanilla and I need a little bit more like chaos <laughs> yeah. but it is it is a good like change of pace yeah when i marched i had a bunch of friends from blue devils that live you know were from there or moving there or living there and then when northern lights was out you know a bunch of friends that lived there and did that too and they were always like move here move here and i missed the boat on that but you know it's sad to see like there's really not a lot of growth happening right now in that area and i talked to some of my friends who you know teach at some of the universities and some of the independent groups and whatnot and you know just trying to help figure out because it was on a trajectory for so long to get big. And I remember, I remember, you know, Emerald Marquis flew from Boston to the Portland Regional, just as, and Pride was there, and Blue Devils were there, and like everybody was there, you know, it was a big deal. And now it's kind of like, you know, not a lot happening, but there's people there, you know? So it's just like with anything else, I think there's phases of support and money and interest and you gotta get crazy people to start working hard, you know? That's working how, really hard. That's and how anything it. gets there. For those who don't know you, could you like give a little, I don't know, like Wikipedia page worth of information about who you are, where you've been? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was going to, I was actually going to lead in with it. like the older you get, the more you don't realize that old people things roll out of your tongue, right? So like when you said that, I was like, my first instinct was to say, well, I love, I love talking with the young people of the activity. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not, I'm, I'm old enough. You, you, you flip a switch and you just become old. And that's who I am. I am Rick Zubel. I'm the old Rick Zubel of pageantry or, you know, I, um, I live in Atlanta uh, with my wife, Andrea. We co-direct Paramount Winter Guard and we both work at Carolina Crown. Um, I've taught a slew of groups of, of all levels of pageantry. I marched in the Emerald Marquis Winter Guard. I was a Hornline member at the Cadets old days. Um, I marched in the Color Guard at the Blue Devils. That's pretty much it. Like I said, you know, I, I've worked with lots of different teams and worked at all the different levels. I, you know, I'm, I willfully connect to as many things as I can because, you know, we're all one part of a larger community. So whether that's actively in my local area in the Southeast or whether that's through WGI or DCI, I try to be as involved as I can. You know, obviously, you know, everybody's doing a massive amounts of problem solving right now as we work through the situation. But, you know, on a normal year, it just feels nice to make a difference, whether it's big or small in someone's experience, whether that's through actually doing, you know, programming or design or, or, or physical work with a group or just watching someone's videos, giving them feedback. And to a fault, sometimes I'm a I'm a I'm an always say yes just because you know I've been able to live a very charmed life in the activity because people were always there for me when I reached out to them. So I always try to be be available to them when they reach out to me. So hence we are here in this interview. Long story short, we're so grateful for your uh, charity. <laughs> <laughs> and I like how you said like, oh, I'm old now, but. Um... I mean, there's like 20 year olds that say they're old and I like, I keep telling Montana, like I refuse to accept that. Like I understand like my body's going to change. I'm going to keep aging. Like, you know, time doesn't go backwards. But like when people used to say in drum corps, like this activity ages you 10 years, like I'm going to be like broken by the time I'm 27. Like to me, it just sounded like hogwash and like, you know, our activity is really hard, but there's like 
marathon runners, like ultra marathon runners in their 60s um, and 70s. And they like find ways to condition and train and take care of themselves. So sometimes felt like that, that old conversation just came as like an excuse to just not take care of yourselves. Or, I mean, you know, in drunk, well, you know, not really I, afforded that. Yeah, well, I also think there's old ways of thinking and new ways of thinking, you know? I mean, I've always thought for myself, I mean, you know when you're in your prime that you're in your prime. You know you're never going to look that pretty, be that fit, or be able to do as many magical things physically. You know that. Mm -hmm. That's just part of the, the human experience. But, you know, like you said, I mean, dancers, Martha Graham danced until she was like 80 years old. You know, professionals treat their bodies in such a way, marathon runners, athletes, you know. There are prime times of your max limits you know but if you treat yourself right if you train the right way if you do maintenance if you you know stay in the the realm of that you can extend that as long as you have the passion to do that which i think is the larger point that you make is and that's something that i try to explain to as many people you know when we talk about age limits and things like that you know this is a gift to be able to perform this thing that we do and obviously a lot of people are understanding that more than ever now but I never, if someone is passionate about loving the ability to get out in front of people and do the thing that they're really good at, then who's to say that they have to ever stop? For me, it's all about just natural transitions, you know? Like I knew when I was done performing that I was done performing. It was a psychological thing more than a physical thing because we did have age limits at the time. I was already asked to be on staff the next year. I was already asked to write a show with this group that I performed with. And you know, that psychological transition had already happened. I knew my last year performing, this was it, you know? And uh, and so I moved into the next step. And then, you know, when you work on this, you move to the next step. And when you're tired of picking up the rifle that you've written five billion counts with, and you, and then you start to mentor the person who's writing, then you move on to, so there are gradual steps. You know, the hard cutoff of like, well, I'm just not doing this anymore, I think is always an easy way out. And I don't know that we always talk about like, is the passion there or the passion not there? Because that answers a lot of those questions. People say they're done. Is are you done because you're bored? Then maybe there's another way to look at how you're doing it, you know, and to still be involved in the activity. You know, if you're not designing, is that judging? If you're not writing choreography, is that programming? If you're not doing soundtracks, is that staging for a group? If you're tired of staging Winter Garden, you want to write some drill for outdoor pageantry. You know, it's all for me in gradual stages of maneuvering around in different components within it, which keeps it fresh for me. It keeps it interesting for me. And I've always been that way, whether that's collaborating with different people, you know, like you have a podcast and you're bringing in different people and it keeps it interesting. Are you going to have the same conversation over and over again? Because if you did, then you'd get burnt out of having that same conversation. So I think that's kind of one way to look at it. But yeah, I mean, your body, your body and your mind do, do widely different things sometimes, but those two have to kind of be in harmony with each other. Because I mean, you know, you're, you know, you're in July in San Antonio and you're on the field and you can barely live and your body is going, no, no, no. And your mind is going, yes, yes, yes. And one will always work out the other one. So, you know, when, it, when people get to that part of the discussion, I always kind of ask them the why. Why are, why are you done? Or what's not feeling satisfying that you can kind of redirect and get a new excitement and new passion for? And you know, when you have been doing it for a long time, you have to really kind of know those tools as well. You know, how do you start over every year building off of and rediscovering and, you know, what are your techniques for staying excited about it? Because I mean, honestly, after so many years, I get excited for similar things the same way I did when I was 18 years old. And I understand how to keep it like that. 
you know, we're really excited to interview you because like you have such an awesome resume and there's been a lot of success in your groups these last few years. And there's been like an upper trajectory. Like I remember marching at Braddock and Paramount going on before us. And you guys had the show with like the brown floor and the tubes with the lights. Um, and I, there was like a DJ setup, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and just hearing you guys go on, I think it was like the Orlando regional, you guys were on right before us. And like the crowd was going crazy. And I was like, like didn't really know much about Paramount, uh, but just like heard how like, crazy the crowd was going for you guys and we were like not performing in Miami anymore so um it wasn't like a home a home turf for us or we knew like everybody's gonna go out for Braddock so or it might have been like Atlanta because we were a little farther but that was like my first intro to like your work um and I didn't even see it like I was behind the curtain while you guys were performing but still so hyped for you guys and then you top at cadets mm -hmm. the year I did at March but I went to April camp um, so I learned your twirls for the first time there the way you manipulated the equipment was like so different from what I was used to it's like interesting to hear about like I didn't know you marched on a marquee I didn't know you played a hornline instrument um, I didn't know you were doing this with your wife until like about a week ago too yeah I just want to hear more about like how you got started well, I grew up in a small town in Alabama and, um, you know, not a lot of access to kind of what you would typically think of as popular pageantry. But, you know, back in the day, you know, there were groups like Choctahatchee and Tate that were perennial WGI sort of founding Scholastic World teams. And, you know, so you kind of knew what it was. Band was a thing, you know, that was pretty cool. But, you know, I was lucky that uh, you know, from my middle school band director to like my high school staff, you know, a lot of them knew of drum corps and they kept sharing it, you know, hey, watch this video. If you like that, you'll like this, you know, that kind of thing. So there was a lot of kind of discussion about what it was. And then, you know, then you finally see a group, you know, rehearsing and see a show and you get the, you get the bug just like everyone else. And, uh, you know, and lucky for me, I had a lot of people that supported me getting there. I didn't have a lot of money, you know. I don't think I had two nickels to rub together ever, you know. It was always like the band director bought me a water jug and the guardian instructor gave me spending money for free day and, you know, whatever it was. I look back on maybe how I was in that and, you know, I was always myself and I was always charismatic and I was always involved. I'm a people person, you know, always connected. You know, I was never shy about asking for help when I needed it. And then people were always willing to kind of like, okay, you know, here's another door. Okay, now once you've maxed that room out, go in someone in the room and open another door, you know? And so it just kind of became that, you know, during my marching years, I always just felt comfortable to talk to the staff, you know, not as peers, but respectfully as a student and pick their brains and just, you know, be silly. And, you know, I was the kid doing my own thing in the end zone, you know, like making up my own stuff on water breaks. Just being hopeful that I knew that's what I wanted to do. You know, I mean, I just remember when I finally got a chance to be involved in it for the first time, it, it was instant that I was like, I want to do this forever, you know, and I don't really, I didn't really know what that was. I just kind of went with the current, you know, and, um, and, you know, life just kind of takes you in different places. And I don't know, I feel, you know, lucky that I was able to have the experiences I have in the places that I did with the people that I did. You know, but these are all people that I'm still friends with today, you know, that I work with as peers and have been able to go back and teach with. And I think back to like, it's always this funny story, but it's like, you know, when I marched at Emerald, I'd never marched anywhere before. And I didn't really know anything differently. I had had an experience marching drum corps. You know, I didn't, I didn't really audition. I didn't know that was really a part of the process because I jumped on in the middle of the summer. It's like we were at a BOA thing and they're like, hey, we have a baritone spot and a mellophone spot. And my friend Jana was like, let's go. And 
we just kind of walked up to their food truck and we're like, we don't know what we're doing, but we want to march drum corps. And they just said, here's a horn. We marched like some marching patterns and played some scales. And they were like, all right, let's go. And we had no money. Again, band directors giving us money to like go on tour. And you just kind of follow this crazy current that takes you to the next place. And, you know, but like when I, mar when I auditioned to Emerald, like I'd never done it, you know, and I looked at this guy who was a vet of the group and I was like hey I'm just letting you know I have zero experience so if I get cut it's really your fault and uh that was kind of a joke but it's like you know I'm sure I was terrible laughably terrible you know but they never cut me you know they just kept letting me come back and I was involved and there and I was present and you know I wasn't I didn't know to be weird about that you know I guess I wasn't I wasn't cowering in the corner in my you know my worry of not being good enough I just kind of put myself in the front and did my things and looked terrible and you know I mean it was it's a joke even now like with Jim Moore or Greg Lagola where it's just like I remember I distinctly remember rehearsal where it's like you know we're going through like individual parts and so-and-so's like oh let me see what so-and-so's doing and they're, and they're both like let's see what Rick's doing and I was like no and they're like why I was like because you're just gonna laugh at me because I look stupid you know I look silly now that I'm on the other end of that and I look back at that and I go, wow, I, I really didn't know how it all worked. And I think because of that, I missed a lot of insecurities that kept me from being present to situations that presented themselves. I don't think anything was ever really tactical. It was just like, this sounds like a good idea. Let me keep, you know, going after it until I get it. And, you know, that, and that's 90% of what we learn in, in pageantry is you just keep going back until you get it and you have to have a level head about yourself and deal with frustrations, you know, and that extended itself into being able to choreograph for and, and work with some teams and people see your potential and, you know, people like your personality and you, what you bring into the rehearsal and how you work on the team and that sort of thing. And then, you know, we started our own group here with Paramount and you have the trials and tribulations, but you don't get frustrated. You figure out how to be better and you keep going after it and you keep going after it. And it's like, you know, a lot of those things just kept being similar on the surface, you would say a lot of it, I feel lucky, but you know, then there are also people who say you make your own luck or, you know, luck is just hard work with a vision or, you know, all those cool like cats with the rope at the end of the string kind of, you know, posters, but I feel like anything possible. I think you have to, or else why are you trying it in the first place? You know, like it's no different than any troubles we're dealing with in the world. Can it be better? If we don't think that it can be better, then we should stop even fretting over and just let whatever happen. But if we think that it can be better, then we have to stick with it through the hard times and the, the good times. And then we come out on the other side with better versions of what it is. And sometimes it'll take decades, but you have to believe that it, that, you know, getting to the next level is possible before you even commit to it. Because that's where your commitment comes from, is, is that hope that I can get to that place, you know? Hope is a constant struggle. Like, it, you have to like keep reminding yourself to be hopeful and remind yourself that. I, I don't know, we think of like things with like years or months in time, like especially with like New Year's resolutions and things like that and birthdays. But, you know, a lot of these things, like you said, like how long has Paramount been out? And when was the first time you guys went into, got into like WGI finals? And we are, we've been out for 10 years and in our fifth year we made finals for the first time. Yeah, that's really awesome. And like, I think that's, like extraordinary to make it in five years but looking at the broader scope of like the work that you've done like it wasn't just those five years that took you like to figure out like all the skills to make finals what you said was so relatable about like the you not really knowing how things go and just showing up all the time like 
high we'll think about, we'll think about we'll think about participation you know people these most people who know of the, of who are aware of themselves in the activity and they want to audition somewhere you know i want to go to crown i want to go to blue devils i want to go here i want to go to paramount whatever like they before they even get there they have to say do i think i can make it there and most people will will say no and they won't even go now if you eliminated that barrier then you have the next step where they where they kind of talk themselves into it and they go well i just want to go for the experience I just want to see what it's like maybe in a couple of years, you know, then you, then you've got that level of self doubt and, you know, limitations, self-imposed limitations, you know, but then you have those people that go, I mean, I don't care if they laugh, laugh at me and throw stuff at me. Like I'm, I, this is what I want. And when you see a performer who's that decisive about it, your next reaction is on the other side to say, I want to help him. You know, you see it, you know, you, and then you can have those honest discussions like, Hey, you may not have it right now, but if you do these two things and come back next year, you know, or these three things, you know, but again, that person who's not there, you don't have the opportunity to have that dialogue. You know, that person who goes, but they're kind of shyly hiding in the corner, they're less capable of, of being present in those discussions. You know, the, the person who's there and really wants it, they'll listen to you and they won't be destroyed when you say, you don't have it right now, but this is what you can do, you know, and they'll hear that. They'll go do that. Again, I think back to the, you know, the story about like auditioning at Emerald with like no color guard experience. I just did whatever they told me to do all the time. That's what pageantry is, you know, go here, stand there, straighten your legs, stretch out in second, go take a dance class, stop wearing camouflage pants because I can't see the line behind your leg. Like, you know, you have those like, you have those silly things that happen along the way, but really you go, I just follow you know, and then you, you become the best follower of, of the craft. You become the best learner of all of the things that it takes to do the thing that you need to do. And, you know, and that's huge versus arguing with yourself about it. Well, my body's just not, my legs just aren't long enough. I'm to this or that, or I'm not tall enough, or I don't have this, or I'll never, you know, like people wrestle with those things so much that like, you're missing out on just doing the two steps because you're wrestling with yourself the whole time, you know? And I wish that there was like an on off switch like that. I think, you know, when I try to have connections with students or, you know, strangers or acquaintances through the activity, you know, I try to really be aware of that because that's the number one culprit of not going where you wanna go or even trying to go where you wanna go because you've already stopped yourself. And I just think that's a big deal. But it, you know, but it goes back to your why, you know, even if your why is just because that's what I want. You can At least set, you're sure of something. Yeah, you can set things into action, you know. I think specificity is key, you know. If you want a direct result, you need to know the specific thing that you want out of it. If I want to march drum corps because I want to be super fit, okay, well, that's a goal, but that's that'll help you through the physical hard times, you know what I mean? But then there's another level of I want to be artistically more lyrical when I perform, you know, then you get specific about the thing that you're trying to get out of it. And then you're aware of the information that's going to help you get to that thing, you know, versus, but if just to be there to be there is, is a goal, that's, that's the first goal, you know, I want to be a part of it. Well, then you figure out the next specific after that. I think that's so important too, the way, the way you approach things. It makes sense why people want to keep coming back to Paramount. I think that um, it's such a, it's like a nurturing sort of teaching style and nurturing sort of way to be about Color Guard, which is so important, I feel, because I don't know, the way I was brought up in Color Guard, it was 
again, I don't know if it was luck or I just worked, worked my ass off to do what I wanted to do, but I never, I always felt the pressure of being perfect or the pressure of being this thing that I felt like I was never going to achieve. So it was always the driving force for me, but it was when things wouldn't go my way, it was, or I wouldn't get something right away. It would, it almost be like a breaking point because there was such, there was this pressure and this push. I think uh, more people approached the activity that way. I think just the, the activity as a whole would be such a more wholesome place. And I feel that sort of mentality definitely like pushes to every other sort of aspect of life. Cause color guard, I mean, for most people is a hobby. So it's like their daytime job or whatever they do school, that same mentality pushes to those things. So being able to ask questions, being able to put yourself in the front put yourself out there and get the help that you need. Cause I used to stand in the back corner. So it was like, I remember being in Greg Lagola flag blocks, being completely lost, not having an idea what to do. And I would still stand in the back corner trying to figure out from the people in the front. And then it's like, okay, like that was my first Playing year. Like, telephone gonna... with flag choreography. Yeah, <laughs> and that was never a good idea with Greg Lagola because he would spin like this in front of his body and you couldn't see it anyway. So unless you were standing like up his butt, you wouldn't see the, <laughs> you wouldn't see the choreography anyway. So I'm getting like telephone all the way to the back. And it took me three years to figure out like, okay, I don't care if I look like garbage I'm gonna stand right next to him and I don't care like ask all the questions even when he would get really annoyed that I was asking questions like middle of choreography but I was like it took me years to figure out that like it's okay to look stupid in the beginning it's like okay to look silly it's okay to make mistakes but it took forever to actually be able to accept the fact that it is okay yeah well you know the thing I never understood about it uh, you know there's different kinds I think of perfectionism you know I'm always angered that I can't figure it out I'm never mad at myself I'm it's more of I believe in my capacity and I'm angry because I'm smart and I'm capable why am I not getting this and in those moments of frustration for me you know, that I, I understand that that's sort of my negative approach to it. The other one is the people who de destroy themselves in that moment, you know, like my anger fuels me to get it, to do a hundred reps over the break or to stand in the front or to get out my camera and video. I'm like my frustration fuels me to do the next thing that's going to get me to it versus completely tanking and destroying myself, you know? And, and as a student, that's like one of the first rules you have to learn is you have to let go of that completely, you know? And even for a lot of people, they can do, they can let it go in pageantry, but maybe not in the real world. And then they have to go through the lessons of how can I make this applicable to other goals outside of my life? You know, I, I, I just, it's like learning some challenging language. Like, why would you expect to get it on the second sentence your your rational mind would afford you the uh, the possibility of failure in a lot of things i don't know why in pageantry it's the first thing people go to is i'm a failure because i can't figure out this crazy thing i've never done before and that's the other part too you know when you start embracing the challenge of that you know the challenge is not how bad can i look at this the challenge is you know i want to learn greg's stuff 30 seconds after he teaches it, but last year it was an hour after he taught it, you know, like these little challenges and you kind of flip it in your mind, you know, you adjust the little Rubik's cube a little bit to say these things should be fun. The challenge should be fun. The hard work should be fun. The failure should be fun because how much richer is it when you do succeed? You should clap. You know what I mean? I, I, I think about that in rehearsals, like 
you know, when somebody finally gets it, of course, I, the whole room should erupt with applaud and, and hug them like they just won like the Tour de France or something. That Because that's, that's what it is. It's, that's the reward of all of those challenges. And look, and we have to really help make sure that we're helping each other see that these challenges are good things, you know? Yeah, I yeah. like that it's a applause moment rather than like a, oh, finally, you know? Yeah. I think I've been in both rooms, you know? So it's being able to have a staff that, or have anyone in front, even your teammates be, be next to you cheering you on versus being like, oh, finally, she finally got it. You know, like yeah. making it seem like this negative thing where it's like, I just work X amount of time to do this skill that, like you said, like something you've never done. So it's, yeah. it's just the, it's the tone. That I think is an atmosphere of, it's like performance anxiety comes from the fear of messing something up versus the joy of doing it well, you know? And you know, you spend 60 plus hours a week on said skill and on Saturday you go to the show, you should be on the side of, I'm going to, you know, nail this because I've done X amount of work versus I'm afraid to mess this up because I've done X amount of work. It's two ways of looking at the same thing, you know, and we can be driven by one or the other. I think that's the first nut to crack in pageantry is, you know, who am I in this moment? you know, being the best version of myself in this moment. And you have to have a lot of real talk about that, you know? You know That's a hard conversation to have is feeling, you know, 16. Yeah. And like, there's so many things that you're worried about. Um, but I was like, really, like lucky to be so like, wholly unaware of what this was. Like, I just showed up to the cadets, like, I took a 26 hour bus ride to get out there because I like, just didn't want to be home. And I didn't want to spend my summer at home. Um, and just like I just kept showing up and that was kind of the approach for like every audition I did like I'm just gonna show up and try my best and I wasn't really too worried about like looking crazy because I like especially when I started I knew like <laughs> it was gonna be hot mess express but like there was a couple of team members who just were always like super great and like I think in color Guard, I never really would get angry like it it's too much of like a just a lofty like weird niche thing to that we do um and because it was what like my zen and my escape like I just always wanted to have like a good time and work through all the hard moments with like some cool people so like I know how you said like there's some conversations that you can have like at the workplace that, um and some at pageantry and how they don't mix but like at, at the workplace I'm like very like stern strict you're quick to see my frustration if we're working on something together but in color guard um it w that wasn't the case and I like I think I would get upset or like angered with like bad teammates or um just like those snarky attitudes that you just couldn't help but like you you can't address them because it's you understand that it's like a personal issue and the way they take it out on the rest of the team isn't like that's when the personal issue like becomes a problem but even then, like, like how you said, that's a tough nut to crack. You can't really uh, help people through that when it's so, like, mental. Um, but, yeah, I was just, like, wholly unaware and happy to be there and um, just taking the critique for what it was and then trying it again because we only had, like, 90 days to do it. Yeah. And it made it so much more fun. It's just flags on the field. I wish you know? I had that mentality when I marched. At least, I mean, like, outdoor. I, I think I always tried to have a good time. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I mean, like, I when we're on the field, we can, like, radiate that with each other so like that's why we were drawn to each other because we were like we were going to work hard but like there was going to be laughs in between and you know we were going to filter out like oftentimes you are filtering out a lot of craziness from other people kind of got to meet them with 
their energy but with your different approach just to like create your own safe space because like I wasn't about to let anybody else's like insecurities like get in the way of me teaching like I would just like leave my corner of the choreography block to go to a different corner if somebody else around me was just being weird. I err to think that it doesn't have to be that way you know I think um, you know I don't I think that one you know, if you have an atmosphere that allows for the discussion, I think if given the opportunity, you may have gone over to someone and said, hey, when you react this way, it changes the dynamic and energy of my experience in the room. I think you would have had a conversation to say, you know, now I know this is how you come at the scenario, but let's work through it. That's why we're here, you know? And then, because I mean, I, I think back to, I don't want to do this if it's not cool. You know, I don't want to be in the room where Susie's crying in the corner because she can't get her rifle thing. And it's just not like it's not, how is it that deep? We're all on the same team, one, regardless of whatever the situation is, we're all on the same team. And this is what, this is the life that we're living, this rehearsal, you know, we're in this space and it's our duty to take care of it, you know, and whether that's frustrations whether that's whether that's from the the educator whether that's from the member you know like there has to be a time and a space to be able to talk through and say what are we doing well what are we not doing well how can we make this better what would make the atmosphere you know great because at the end of it if i have so many rehearsals in a row where i go i really don't like the vibe there i really don't like the feeling i really don't like the whatever i'm gonna check out you know what i mean i don't need that in my world and especially in situations where I can create that, you know, I'm super aware of that. You know, when you see that kind of behavior, you take five, you say, hey, look, I get it, you know, but that you got to be aware of the other people around you, you know, and, and if you need some help, you got to ask for it. You got to, you know, you break down some of those things because the atmosphere of that space is huge. Other people might not want to come back to that energy. You know, they may find someplace else and that's, you know, when we talk about retention and growth and the experience and, you know, from beginner novice class groups to the best world class groups in the world, the first thing you have to consider is do people like this and will they keep coming back to this? And that comes from the energy, the atmosphere, the experience, you know, then it forays into the skills and the show and the artistry and the whatever, you know, but nine times out of 10, you know, people will say, I didn't go back not because of the rifle work, but because of the atmosphere. I tried to check into that understanding when I first started my group because, you know, selfishly speaking, I want it to be fun for me. I want to enjoy the time. I want to be creative in the way that I'm creative. I want to laugh as much as we do it a hundred times in a row. I want to, you know, I want everyone to understand the whys in the moment that no one's flying off the handle because they're like, are we doing this again? Because Susie dropped. It's like, well, I try to not ever get to that place where they even wouldn't think that. And that's not, not unlearning old school ways, but it kind of is, you know, I mentioned that earlier about when people check out with the, you know, I've got granny body. Well, that's an old way of thinking, you know, this is where we are now. The more that we can look at those little sort of tangible, those little factors that are just as important as, the show on Saturday, you know, that's a huge deal, you know, and I think, um, you know, I've learned over the years that like in any particular thing, you can't skip steps, you know, there's an old book by this coach, John Wooden, who was the coach at UCLA when they won like 13 championships or something, like 11 championships in 13 basketball years. Coach, right? crazy. Yeah, basketball coach. Mm -hmm. And so he's got a book, it's called The Pyramid of Success, but like it anecdotally tells of him every year 
at the beginning of the season, he personally teaches every basketball player how to put on their socks and shoes. Because if you get a blister, you're sitting out. And when you sit out, you don't get better. Just getting that understanding in their head that every small detail matters, that makes them better. It makes them think that way about everything that's involved in what's going on, you know? And so, you know, everybody wants to get to that place, but it's like, you got to get all those little ducks lined up first, you know? And so, you know, I, I'm not saying that there is a hierarchy for it, but it has to start on the surface level of, do I love the energy here? Do I love the atmosphere? Do I love the process? And then it builds up into the design and the show and the things and the things and the things and the things and the things. But I'm going to say nine times out of 10, when people stick with something and they see it through, those groups will always achieve success, you know? And if you've got, you know, if, if you've got a high school team with 24 seniors, you're probably going to be good. You, the laws, the laws of percentages say you're probably going to be great with that much experience in your organization. And the same thing with independent groups as well. You know, I think that creating the right atmosphere and the experience for the, for everyone and having the space to grow through the dialogue, you know, of, you know, the unsavory moments will happen, but you have to have the space to talk through that. Now, if, I know you both came from an experience where you didn't have a lot of extra time um, in the summer, but you know what I mean? Like those things, you have to allow for that too. Even if that's a weekly check-in, you know, how you doing, how's the experience, you know, what's something going all right, or, you know, you kind of have to do that, but um, cause it can't just be all work, work, work. You know, the bigger payoff is at the end of it, the experience that I had, I, I loved every second of being in the gym with these people. So I want to come back and do it next year. That's yeah, because rehearsal is so much. Rehearsal is the majority of what we do. Yeah. Like, if you think about it, like how, like, especially Winter Guard. Winter Guard's less than 10 minutes. You're on the floor and, and the hours and hours you spend in yeah. a gym with these people. And as members, you volunteer your time. You know, it's like, we don't have to do this. We don't have to be. We, there's so many other things we could be doing, but we're here. So it's, yeah. it's like, why not make the time worthwhile? Yeah. Sometimes it feels like too that like the approach for those conversations is that like, or at least from what I remember, it's, there's no room to have it because we're so busy working on everything else. Um, yeah. But like you can always make room for those conversations and you got to make them from the start, like leading with those intentions. Like I know you're speaking like as a director, but like, you know, we were members and we never really had those conversations. It was just like, choose your mindset and like show up and deliver, which like works, you know, it works for a certain degree, but then there's all these other things that like don't ever get addressed. So um, like, as I know, like me coming up and trying to like figure out or how to have those conversations, it was like a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with people and just like, I don't know, not really knowing how to do it because oftentimes it was like the first time we were having those conversations in a group dynamic like Hilligard. Um So it's like cool to hear like you speak about it so like authoritatively and like from like your own experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to temper it to certain degrees, you know? I mean, if you ask someone in drum corps, like, tell me about your experience, they're gonna be like, I think the food is terrible. And you're like, okay, noted, you know? But it's like, that's where you go, well, what can I have control over? You know what I mean? And there are certain aspects of it you know, you can mention that, you can bring it up, you can comment card it, you can do whatever. But sometimes at the end, you know, I wish we could fly from destination to destination. You know what? Me too. But we're on a bus, you know? Like there are some things where, it, you know, 
but you but if you bottle that up inside and you don't express it it's still there you know what i mean it becomes someone hits you in the knee with a rifle and then it becomes a energy you know mm -hmm. and so you know it's okay to say i wish we could fly from show to show and then we all laugh about how silly that is because <laughs> you know what i mean like we can't afford to fly down the street you know <laughs> but but and then you you laugh at the reality of it, but you do recognize, okay, well, if I can't control that, what can I control on the daily and the weekly in this experience to make it better, you know? And maybe that's not five run-throughs that day, you know? Maybe that's not this. Maybe that's you know, maybe that is ten minutes, and the ice cream truck rolls up, and everybody gets a little ice cream, and we talk about like how we're going to get through the heat in San Antonio you kind of have to have those check-ins you know that's where the best teachers are the people that know their students you just know them you know what they brought into rehearsal you know you know she just failed five tests and her boyfriend said something snarky to her on the way to the gym you just kind of know that you're or you're just aware of that, that that could be a possibility so when that energy is wrong in the beginning so then that turns into you being stern with a student who's going to push back because this is what's building up behind this and so, you know, that doesn't mean you're in everybody's business. You know, that just means that you're aware that there are other factors that make this moment what it is and, and being open to whatever that is. And, you know, some of them are silly, like I wish we could fly everywhere. And some of them are important, like my dad's really sick in the hospital. Being present and mindful that more is going on than just your late on count five. And I think the more that you can be attuned to that, the more you're going to be able to deliver instruction the right way, you know? Um, not every student hears the same thing, you know, so you may have to say it 10 times and I don't know, there's just a lot of work and, and people say that, you know, but it's like, but do you really know what that means? You know, never giving up on anybody, always believing that someone can work through a struggle or it's a lot of commitment and you're not just committed to that person for the work they can do, you're committed to that person as the person because if you can get them in that moment right then they're going to be great in your show but the show is not important in that discussion and those things go hand in hand so tightly yeah, it's a level of compassion too that you have to have at all times towards students because like the snarky comments all that kind of stuff you get it all but at the end of the day it's yeah it's finding the root problem so yeah it's always been into the teaching realm for long enough to like maybe not comfortable with those conversations, but at least know how to approach them at this point, just because no matter where, what level you teach from world-class to triple A novice, you're going to have to have those conversations. Yeah. Well, you know, again, it's, it's the level of comfortability and, and the connection that you have, you know, I mean, if you've taught somebody for seven years, you're probably going to know that that boyfriend said something snarky, you know, you probably would have already heard that, but if it's someone that's kind of, you know, and if it's a situation where it's like, I, I don't want to be that personal with them, that's fine too. But, you know, in the moment that you can see that someone's energy is down or they're not focused or there's a postural change or there's something going on there, you can say to that person, you know, hey, is there something going on outside of this room? Mm -hmm. And if they say yes, then say, is it something that you need help talking about? And if they say no, then you say, then look around this room because all of these people you're important to them and you're a big deal to them and you this is our space and whatever's outside of this room tonight let's make this space right for you and let's have a blast and let's do the thing that you're great at you know what i mean and you don't have to get into those personal things but you just bring about awareness of this is a safe space for that you know and to provide that connection of saying if, if you do have a need 
I'm also here for that too, or I can help get you the help that you need, you know, but you don't have to really get as personal like it like that. That's such a breath of fresh air, like to hear you talk about like just what that conversation could look like and the different like questions you could pose to people. Like we'll be marching Paramount one day, so we'll, we'll have those conversations. <laughs> And you can mold it for us so we can be better instructors. No, no, no. But you know what I mean? But this, but this is also stuff you know. I just said things that both of you already knew. The habits that we create are not, those are always new. And like I said, you know, I am built of the instinct of looking at myself going, how can I do this better? How can I say this better? How can I connect better? How can I give concise information better? How can I, you know, not hold them for longer than I need to make a note card with three things instead of just talking off the cuff or whatever. That's something that's just now instinctual to do versus just working one task at a time. It's just in those moments you go, okay, how do I make it better? How do I do this better? Whether that's a design thing or a teaching thing or an atmosphere thing or a directing thing or, or whatever, you know? Um, I have a question about um, how you like bring your teams together because you're talking about like the culture and like check-ins and stuff with your teams but um your educational teams like I we laugh because we see like the Paramount staff announcement and it's like you guys need a yearbook because there's so many of you all um but you like work at you have your hands in so many different things so like do you want to talk a little bit about like your approach about like what it means to be like a facilitator for all these different talents and knowledges that come into your groups and how you go yeah, about that. I well, know a lot of yeah. them are your friends too. Yeah. Well, I, that, I mean, it starts with that, you know, whether, you know, whether we've known each other for a long time or you can just tell that we have chemistry, you know, we're all friendly in that space. From a technical instruction standpoint, you know, independent guards don't have a lot of money, you know, to say we want everyone to be there every second of every weekend is not, I mean, that's where burnout comes from. That's where, that's not to say that, that those individuals don't have a high level of commitment to that. We just have to schedule it differently. You know, if this instructor has four kids at home and she's also got a professional job and it's also the weekend and you go, okay, if I can only have you for four hours on Saturday, then here's what's going to happen in those four hours. And this is how we're going to specialize that time in rehearsal to really get the benefit of your time being there. Because again, an issue is that when people can come in and out, there's nothing for them to do, or they're a secondary fixture, or they're just, you know, so then they don't feel utilized. They don't feel like the time that they were there was a big deal. And we missed out on getting the best out of them. For whatever the availability is, you know, we have a constant dialogue of availability and a, you know, an interactive calendar of who's there and where, and who's going to be there and that sort of thing. You know, Andrea and I are the fixtures and we're, you know, we're the beginning to end of the weekend. And we, navigate through the availability of all of those people you know having all of those people means that you have more shots of great people being available more often versus less people being available all of the time you know but even for myself you know i look at that and, it's, and and you sometimes say hey it'd be great to like have four hours on a saturday night you know or on a sunday morning or, or whatever that is and so we do a lot of dialoguing and a lot of planning and a lot of detailed planning about people's times and who's there and what instructions that we need so that's one layer of it. And that's the same thing with all the designers too. You know, while it would be great and fun to have five outside designers come in the room and we all have a good old time that weekend, you're only getting a fifth of that person's time. And so for the investment of flights and the time it takes for them to be there and you just go, okay, well, it's this person's weekend. And here's all of the parts of the show that involve the need of that person. And then this weekend is that weekend's person. And this is a technical weekend. And 
the key to that is just to schedule it the right way. Being on my end of it, the, the beauty is I get to work with all these people that I love to work with. And the performers get the most out of the specialty of each one of those people by how well we can schedule it. Yeah, your staff is so fun. When I came for that one weekend last year, yeah. oh my gosh, they're such a blast. They are. <laughs> you almost marched that weekend. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how many times like Montana and I have had this discussion or like with Madison and just all of the same. Like, for years, if it wasn't we'll so go. far away. I mean, it was closer when I was in Florida, but now it's a, now it's a different story. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people we could stay with in Atlanta. Like, we can make this audition happen. Yeah. Is that what this interview is about? <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're actually we... we're just trying to get our spots <laughs> This is down. actually prelim. Yeah, this is a preliminary just... spot check. Like, you have our emails. <laughs> can you please just send us the contract, <laughs> the payment yeah. plan? I could do a plie exercise right here if you want. A little time do. <laughs> <laughs> Let me give you a quick spins and stops. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Trojan horse bit. interview. Yeah. <laughs> really good accounting. <laughs> no, but I mean, but that's really it. You know, I, I think that again, you know, I think time is a big deal. You know, I, I um, you know, everybody's kind of got a different understanding about what time is. You know, I think for me, you know, I like to feel like a good amount of different things occurred and, and happened. You know, I like to feel mm -hmm. that when we end rehearsal, you can look at the, you know your time and say we got all these things done you know it, it always bums me out when when something feels like it was wasted time and like and that doesn't mean that like we're working on this idea but then it becomes this idea that that was a waste of time experimentation is valuable time you know if you if you have to spend two hours on these 16 performers then these five can go do work over here and they can do you know then their technique time becomes that time and that's valuable time to them valuable time for the design and valuable time for those performers that are a part of that. And that's utilizing who you have there. You know, if there's sometimes that it's just me at rehearsal and then we're strictly ensembling something, you know, or, or we are doing something that has the least moving parts, like being smart about that just so that it's still productive and not a waste of time. But there's also, um, you know, going into it with the checklist and having, having reasonable checklists of things that you can get done in a rehearsal. You know, a lot of groups, during marching band season, for instance, you, you always lack the luxury of time. So you've got 10 things that need to happen between now and Thursday, but realistically, you're gonna have to bite the bullet and say, we're only gonna get three of them done. You know, and I think those things kind of come with experience. For every five things, take two off the list. For every 10 things, take four off the list. For every hour, you're only getting 40 minutes of rehearsal, real rehearsal, you know, the rest is information and water breaks and you know what I mean it's so you get better at that and you get more rational about that but that also goes back to the experience where even though you had less physical time you still got major things done because of the amount of planning and preparation that occurred so that when that time is over everyone including the performers go wow we got a lot done and we didn't work as hard you know it's the work smarter not harder kind of thing and it's a huge part of it not something I'm used to, the work <laughs> work smarter, not harder. Um, and I think it, it all comes full circle of what we've been talking about, of like taking care of the members and the experience and thinking that even though maybe they worked less time on something, they, they got just as much out of working for 40 minutes as we would have done for two hours, you know? It comes back to the fact that like working, working smarter is only going to help longevity of this activity and 
how long you can actually keep doing this and how long your body feels strong and willing to continue doing this activity, you know, mm-hmm. it all comes back to that. It sounds like too, that there's a, like a lot of logistical planning or um, yeah, planning of how the rehearsal is going to go to that happens like Monday through Thursday before the Friday through Sunday, um, uh, Sunday rehearsal starts, which is so important because there's been times where like somebody would try to update me like, on the 15 minute car ride on the way to rehearsal like we could have scheduled a phone call before this or you know just a checklist with like good plans and how you approach splitting up the work or the goals for the weekend with like I don't know things delegated sometimes just like oh this is my skill so I'm gonna like focus on focus on this and when I'm done with this it'll come to you I was like well can I get a time slot and um, can you tell me like some bullet points of things to work on um, well I mean I, I think like the best time is right is you know people say planning before the next event but you should plan right after the last one you know you're already there you're already dirty and sweaty and you just you just experienced how much you did or didn't get done it's right there on your brain you know you've got three days until the next rehearsal like right then is the best time to say okay what do we what do we need to do on Tuesday? Okay, cool. How much time do you think it'll take? Well, today it took. Okay, cool. It's right there in your brains. Everybody's all in the same space. Get a good map right then and then do reminders before the next rehearsal versus starting from scratch, you know? Because again, when people leave that space, they do want to check out. I mean, I'm the first one to grab my bag and, and hit the door and say, no more color guard today, you know? Um, because you need that balance. And I don't think, you know, whether that's 30 more minutes of discussion, you know, I think always think the best time to do it is kind of right then, you know. Do you ever feel like you got, do you feel burnout ever? We spoke about earlier and you're like, I knew this was for me. I want to do it for the rest of my life, but the rest of your life's a long time. So it's like, (laughs) no, I mean, I have a large enjoyment of things that I do, you know, that are not pageantry related, you know, there will never be a time that I feel like I'm, I may be done with this, you know, part of my nature is to look at this thing and say, can you do better than you did yesterday? That's the most positive way I think you can be in color guard, you know, I mean, I built a color guard from scratch in one WGI and the next day you have to go, I think I can be better. That fuels the energy of everything that you do, you know, like, you know what I mean? I guess if I was a person of limitation, I would have put a limitation on that. That would have been a, you know what I mean? If you live your life by the checklist, then you check all the things off and you go, well, what else is there? And you're like, okay, well, we work in a creative thing, you know, we can be more creative about how we teach, we can be more creative about the venues at which we perform, that we can be more creative about how pageantry translates into other forms of choreography and staging and filming and whatever else, like, we can do more with this. And right now, you know, we're having to really brainstorm about what those outcomes might be, you know, it's not, nothing's ever going to stay the same way it was. If you try to bridle it to doing that, that's where people will say, I've already done that. Since the time that I've performed, I've not been in a situation too often where I go, well, I've already done that, or I've already lived that, or I've already experienced that, or I've already thought of that or created that. Like, I'm always trying to explore, you know, and, um, and that's also the curse of it because it's never ending like that. And so you do have to, that's where you yourself have to decide to dock the boat out of the river because the stream will keep going. So yeah, there are things that I've been interested in. I think it's mostly just what what other viable things are there. And you say it without negative connotation, but it's like, yes, I've given up a lot of those kinds of things for pageantry. I've not missed those things. And like I said, I mean, I have, a, I have an extensive connection of wonderful people that, you know, if I'd have worked in a cubicle my whole life may not have been that way. 
I do, I'm interested, yes, in some other things. And especially during this time, I'm exploring what those other things are. <laughs> I think I've been burnt out of negative experiences. I don't think I've been burnt out of the activity and the possibilities that it provides. And uh, yeah. those are two different things. If you're perpetually in these cycles of like unsatisfactory situations, you will achieve burnout. Or you'll finally just get to a penultimate moment where you say, this is not for me anymore. But again, the curse of that is when you're constantly trying to create the best experiences, you're never in that situation. So of course I could do this forever, you know, but again, in the current of trying to evolve with what it is and who you are in it, I never try to say, well, on this date, I'm going to switch over to judging. And on this date, I'm going to stop writing rifle work. And on this date, I'm going to stop producing. You know what I mean? You don't think of it that way. You just kind of go with it. And to do that, you know, to check out of designing to be a judge isn't necessarily a step. It's more of, well, this is interesting. I'm going to go do this for a little bit, you know, or I might versus saying, well, I don't have it anymore. So now I'm going to do this. Or, you know, maybe I'm, I can't write choreography like I used to. So now I can only do this. I think the evolution should not always be out of a negative. I think it should be, the evolution should be built out of a positive of what's the next thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of contested land too about like where color guard can keep going. Like, I don't think you're ever going to get tired of it. I think, you know, the activity keeps growing. It's done nothing but grown since I've known the activity, which is such a like short sliver of time. It's going to keep growing. And like you said, there's going to be more venues for it. It's not just going to be like state championships and DCI and WGI anymore. You know, so, um, there's a lot more that's like, that has potential to grow now. And it's, gonna be cool to see like where all the creative people in this activity like find spaces to grow and find like new venues to like premiere color garden whether it's like mm -hmm. partnering with like something that isn't a marching band or like how we see now with like taylor swift and or just artists in general um and like big screen moments like that's gonna be a cool venue to see this grow it's gonna like find other places just naturally because like people in this activity have a lot of different talents and their hands are in a lot of different types yeah. of things. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, for me and the times that we are in right now, that's sort of the hopeful part of it is that, you know, if it never goes back to the old way, that could be perceived as a negative. But if it goes down an avenue where it's so differently more than it was before, then that's a positive thing, you know? And I think it's up to us to look at it that way. This situation might yield a wonderful thing. Growing pains. Yeah. <laughs> but I just want to say thanks for coming and chatting with us in the first place. Really, really appreciate your time and I miss you and I, who knows the next time I'll be able to see you in person, but. Luckily, you're not that far of a drive away. Yeah, I actually think I'm coming up to visit Ian at some point, mm -hmm. so. What is quick fire stuff? Okay, so they're just kind of like fun, silly little questions that um, aren't really involved with Color Guard. So the first one is, if you could have lunch with someone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh my gosh. I don't do well with these because there's always so many people. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, Skip Kelly, who used to be a choreographer in WGI and in pageantry, who died really young and unfortunately, you know, and uh, so many people got to ex experience him, you know, through Stewart of Atlanta or State Street Review and everybody just said how awesome and how creative he was. And, you know, so, you know, for me, He's an example of someone that I go, and they, and they would always say, you would have loved this person to me personally, you know? So I always think like, that would be a great person to kind of 
get to know, but there's so many people like that, you know, and then I, then I go down the road of like, man, if this classic, you know, game changing drill designer who passed away, you know, before his years had access to Pyware, what would he have done, you know? And so there's so many people like that where that they're not here and you kind of wish you could have seen more of what they could have done with, you know, so I don't know. There's, there's sort of that Debbie Downer answer to that, but it's real. I would say somebody like, and again, I would have a hundred of these people, but I would say like Albert Einstein, because it's like, what was his personality like? You know, did he make jokes? Was he a nerd? You know, was he always just by the book and like information or did he have like, was he silly and snarky? And, you know, I don't know. I mean, to have a hairstyle like that, I feel like you got to be a little, take it little, not little so fun, you know? Right? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. There's never, I, so my answer to that is I've never really thought of any, there's no one that specific that I could not be interested in talking yeah. to, you know? I agree. Like, I can't even answer the question. Like, it's so circumstantial. Honestly, yeah. or just random things too, like people in history like that. We alluded to this a little bit, uh, a little bit ago, but what are you curious about right now? I am interested in software engineering in coding and things like that. Your wife's getting to you. <laughs> I know she is. I'm watching her work remotely going and you know, the flexibility to be in an industry to be able to do that is intriguing to me, you know. I am interested in some old throwback shows like The West Wing or Alias, like you know, uh, 90s into 2000s where like, you know, you start the X-Files and they've got like giant cell phones and then you watch like technology catch up to the time period that they're going in. And I don't know, I, I think they're funny, but it's always like, you know, those are shows that I just wasn't watch- watching TV that much that I missed, you know, so I'm kind of going back and watching some terribly produced television of the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of uh, watching uh, SVU. Cause like you watch them when they first came out and like Mariska Hardcar, whatever, however you say her last name, she had that like short nineties haircut yeah. and like, it was so, you just well, saw the evolution over like 20 something yeah. seasons. Well, my favorite is everyone in those shows, they're, they're in suits, right? Both all of the characters, they're in suits, but the suits are so big and frumpy yeah. and like <laughs> the, the jackets are like this much too long and they just look, it looks like uh when kids wear their parents' clothing. Like, that's what 90s <laughs> business wear looked like. You know? So funny. funny. I'm glad we pulled that together. <laughs> this might be, this is always one that throws a curveball for people. What is your most prized possession that is not Color Guard related? I have, this is silly, but, you know, there's par- I don't want to get into, like, relationships with parents, but let's just say it wasn't great. Uh, my dad passed away when I was 18. We used to flea market on the weekends. You know what that is, right? You like go and you go down the yeah, yeah, stuff, mm-hmm. you know? go down the parking lot and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, there was an old boxing glove. There's only one of them. It wasn't a pair, but it's this old like you know really reddish brown worn boxing glove. And he gave me a boxing glove one time, and it was just one. And I don't know why I was caught it. I thought it was pretty symbolic to just have that one punch, you know? Um, so I keep it with me. That's cool, that's like cool. That. Uh, are you reading any books right now or do you have like a book that comes to mind that like really influences you? It's uh, Austin Kleon, do you know who that is? He's an artist and a writer and a blogger. And you know, he draws pictures and you know, it's a very animated looking book. It's a fun book, but it's basically a perspective on how he does art and makes art. And, and it has a clever title like, 
I have no yeah, idea what yeah. I'm doing or, you know what I mean? It's basically an artist to an artist, you know, and it's okay to not know what you're doing, but I forget his clever title and I think there might be a swear word in it. So I gotta check that out. Yeah, there's a couple of cool stuff here. I've just did like a quick Google search. He writes a lot of things, you know, and again, it's from an artist's perspective and it's one of those like, be true to yourself and do what you do and, you know, don't let the world get you down and just like try to not get lost in the swirl and whatever. But um, so he does like a weekly little blog post and, you know, one of the terms that he described was doom scrolling. And that was one in the last two weeks that really stuck with me is like on social media, you know, everything that your eyes and your mind take in, it stays inside of you. And when you see this circle, cycle of just post after post after post after share after share after share, you know, he calls it doom scrolling. And then when he, when he mentioned the terminology, I was like, oh my goodness, a lot of us are doom scrolling every day. So how can I doom scroll less, you know? Yeah, it's good to have a name for something like that too. Um, it like gives you a better awareness of like how it affects you because everyone knows you can just scroll aimlessly. Um, it's so yeah. real. Throw that shit uh, away, okay? Do not disturb uh, me 24-7. Because <laughs> it throws gotten, like the imposter syndrome at you too because like everyone else is putting all this great, all these great things up and you feel the pressure of like, okay, now I got to put something up. Okay, and like you're throwing this like crappy piece together. You're like putting something together just to put something out there just because kind of like hop on the conveyor belt of things that people are going to be looking at yeah i never really felt that in color like i said i was always happy to show up but in work and in school i don't even know who i am sometimes like just those like those negative conversations like you don't one you don't really deserve this two you're not fooling anybody three like just pack up and go home like i that never comes up in color guard but like whatever else happens in school, school mainly, um, but work, it just like can bubble up so fast. Yeah, it's definitely like a, a real thing. And it's, it sucks. <laughs> Foster syndrome sucks. It's like just, I've like learned to break out of it a little bit, but it, it creeps in every once in a while. Cause like, again, it's also, it's, it's because of social media completely. If you were just in your own little bubble, there'd be no such thing. I was just going to say, if oh. I can pass old man wisdom on to you guys, go ahead, go ahead. You're, only here, you're only here one time. If you want to eat that, go eat it. If you want to ride that ride, go ride it. If you want to live there, go live there. If you want to do this, you want to do that. And now I think that's a huge combatant to imposter syndrome is it doesn't matter. The other factors don't matter because this is what I need, or this is what I want, or this is what will fulfill my one experience. Yeah, but you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we both have a one last quick fire question and they're food related okay good you know. <laughs> okay um what is your perfect slice of pizza you know i like an italian sausage pepperoni probably black olive slice that sounds real good Maybe um, some bacon. I get, you see the meat. Thing, I'm all the like, meat lover. Okay. Yeah, I'm all yeah. for the meat lover's pizza. <laughs> I'm not a bad, I, I'm not, I, aside from probably the olives and mushrooms, I'm not a veggie. I don't like to bite the thing and it still like falls into yeah. my beer. <laughs> right, what's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Well, to do that would totally reveal how often I've used DoorDash or Uber Eats or Grubhub in the last <laughs> three or four months. Um, we have a place called Farm to Ladle here in Decatur, Georgia, and um, they have a white bean chicken chili that's the most ridiculous thing. 
I like uh, I like a comforting food. I like a savory thing. And I don't know, just as simple as it is. And you don't feel bad eating it because it's from a place called Farm to Ladle and you think that it's like super good for you. So like I'll eat like whatever buckets of it. But they have great sandwiches and whatnot. And, you know, it, on any given time of the day, if I'm not sure what to eat, I could say I'd like the white bean chicken chili. Heck yeah. I'm glad we're ending on food too because it is like lunchtime now. Yeah, I'm a little hungry. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we could wrap this up again. Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, definitely didn't have to, and we really, really appreciate your time. Nothing but wisdom here. Yeah. Well, it was fun talking to you both, and I hope that you both stay safe and healthy and all the things and happy. And you know, I wish you the best of luck with your project here. You know, see where it, see what it can grow into. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. No same to you. Here. Yeah. Um, do you have uh, any like work you want to uh, plug right now? I know like quarantine, nobody's really spending right now, but anything you're looking forward to that you want to share? No, but I would say, you know, that whatever comes down the pipe for everybody is that everybody embraces whatever it is, you know, it's so easy to be judgmental. And I think that everyone in leadership roles in all facets of pageantry are just trying to do the best that they can. You know, we're trying to wrestle an invisible thing that none of us are even qualified to understand outside the repercussions of people are getting sick, you know, and it's not necessarily getting easier or better right now. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of strife with students going back to school or colleges or these things that we're taking in in the world. And pageantry is lumped into this thing where we have to be together. You know, we have, we've always had to have been together. And so, you know, a lot of care is being taken to discovering okay well what does the next thing look like like i said if it isn't always what we're used to i think we're going to have to get out of the discussions of well we were always here in this space or we always did it this way i think a lot of discussion is happening about just how can we keep it going in some capacity and so to get through the initial stages of coming back to whatever it is going to be has to be received with a we're glad that anything has happened and i think that if we can start from that standpoint then we can build off of it and you know and again if we achieve some state of normalcy and it goes right back to the same old way but i'm a believer that nothing ever goes back the same way you have to always go forward and i think that we're, that no matter what it's going to be some evolved layer of what it's going to be when it comes back so that would be my only plug is that people stay hopeful and positive and you know uh be part of the positive discussion be part of the positive solution be part of the great ideas that can come out of it you know when it does find that there's even some footing of an answer of what to tell everyone that people go okay well this is where we're at and we're gonna see it through and get it to where it needs to get to versus just completely slashing the feet out from underneath it you know and sitting in your walls about like oh wti is never going to be the same again i think that's a really great approach rick well i mean five years ago wasn't the same as last year and 10 years ago wasn't the same as then i mean nothing in the world is ever the same as the way it always was you know it's just we're fortunate to have something that gives us so many wonderful nostalgic things to hold on to but there's also ways for it to be better and to be different and to be even more accessible. And so if we keep trying to push it back to the thing, we're never gonna get to its next layer of potential. So that, that's, my, that's been my spirit about the whole thing. I've had my tears of seasons ending early and I've had my tears of, I wish it was just as easy. And I have had my tears of, it's not all going the way that it has been going, but I've also gotten my hope in, well, it, there's been some good discussions about what it can do. and. 
what does the next version of it look like? And Yeah, I'm really hopeful about that too. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Rick. You've been super generous with your time. Yeah, and thanks, Rick. Cool. You're, You're awesome. welcome. Y'all stay safe. Be good. You, you too. too. Thank you, man. Bye. Bye. See ya. Wow. Wisdom. Knowledge. Boom. All the good, good knowledge. And it was just so real, too, because... I don't know. He didn't, he didn't have to have this conversation with us. He didn't have to go out of his way to spend a solid two hours just chatting with us. The way the conversation just flowed, you can tell that this was not the first time he's ever thought about these things. And I'm sure he's had, he has had similar conversations with people about like leading with passion and finding ways to take care of yourself and all these like other different, like just the other things that we talked about. And I feel and like there too- was moments where he was like dropping wisdom that I felt was like specifically packaged for me and like something I was going through or, you know, something we're going through. Like, it, like it was just so perfect. Cause you think about it too, that he has had a successful world-class organization for, I mean, I, I don't like to consider making a placement a successful thing. Like, just, if he's doing all the right things, which he clearly did, finals and winning and all that kind of stuff happens, but I don't think because he made finals five years ago, that was his moment of success. The fact that he started the journey in the whole first place, like, all that quote-unquote, I love how he said it, old man wisdom, that's where it came from, was 10 years of learning and making mistakes, you know, to take that leap of faith as they like spent their 30s, Andrea and Rick, building, cultivating this this home for people. I wouldn't even say a team or a place, it's a home. Because that's why people, like, our, friend, our friend Madison, five, six years there, yeah. it's well, well probably a lot, March of, another a lot of people like that too. A lot of people are like five, five years they call it they go by peaks five peaks four peaks three peaks and it's really cute yeah so it's like on top of the mountain and so it's it's really really nice mounties you're so adorable yeah like i I am such a big supporter of paramount i've when i first started marching i didn't really know who they were i didn't really know who anyone was i was so obsessed with north i barely knew where my flag bag was you're right. Like, You're right. I had no time to be thinking about competition. And then once I found out about Paramount, and they just, every time I watched them, they were just better than the last time, and they just kept getting better and better, and that's like Rick's whole thing is make it better than the last time. And so I wish I got to see them this winter because I heard they were insane. Like, I saw them on video, but never, again, never does it justice. It was really fun with Rick. I mean, we, we talked so much about like very important things but i also just kind of want to be like tell me about that design tell me about that show tell me about like the influence tell me about like what made you think of these colors and these props and not just for this last year's show but like the last seven or eight shows (laughs) Uh, because they've all been so like unique and different he also has all these different voices on his team too that i don't know least barely scratched the surface when it came to these kind of questions but it's like how much influence and how much say do they have in certain things like obviously rick is probably the final like he's the veto or the yes you know but i just want to know how those like yeah, group just, discussions go mm-hmm. how those bar sessions go like because you know. it's funny yeah they don't they don't always I'm sure there's in, different like, at these, like, formal of- places like that's the cool thing about working with your friends i think 
Crossman's uniform. I remember they were telling telling me that they drew it on a napkin at a bar. Literally, it went from a bar napkin to a top 10 color guard uniform. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, follow us on the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter at SYTYB5, or if you want to say like cool kids, SYTYB5. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. If you don't know what to say, tell me your favorite finals week memory. Marching band finals, DCI finals, exam finals at school. Like, you, you know, just tell us your favorite finals week memory. Bye, W5. We out. Out. Wow, wow.